Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean? And what does it call us to do? In today's episode, this is my petition. We're wrapping up our study of the book of Esther with the events of chapters 5 through 10. We'll see once again how a story with no mention of God is replete with God's presence in every turn of the page. Let's get started. Hello, friends of Calling Water. Guess what? Why, yes, it's another guest episode, but not just any guest, a returning guest. David Magianis is here, everybody. If you remember, David joined us a few episodes ago when we were talking about the book of Ruth, and now he's back to wrap up the book of Esther with us. David, welcome back. Hello. So happy to be back and to be on the podcast. I'm excited. Esther is another great book. I'm just thrilled to be here. We are also thrilled. Um, for the people who have not met you before through this audio media, <laughs> could you tell us just a little bit more about yourself? Yes, of course. So I'm David Magianis. I'm a growth strategist at Stuff You Can Use, which basically means I get to connect with ministry leaders from across the world to see if grow is a good fit for their ministries. So if you're listening to this, looking for curriculum for kids or students or even adults, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk yes, to you. Yes, shameless plug. Exactly. <laughs> I also work part-time as a youth director at a church in the Dallas area. A um, little background about myself in terms of my you know, calling. I'm in the United Methodist Church currently right now in the ordination process. So that's a little bit about myself. And yeah, recently I've been really into rock climbing. Uh, my wife and I, Amy, we've joined a rock climbing gym. We've been climbing for about two and a half months now. It's been awesome. Um, so yeah, also if you rock climbing, you listen to this, feel free to send any tips my way because I'm just obsessed about it right now. So yeah, it's a little bit about myself. Wow. I know absolutely nothing about rock climbing. <laughs> how, how high do you go typically? Yeah. So the gym that we go to um there's a thing called top rope so obviously you're hooked up to a rope but we have walls that are about like 45 to 50 feet tall so like about five stories tall and it's it's a blast it's a good time <laughs> wow well major props to you <laughs> for doing that um okay well once again so excited to have you back to talk bible with us especially this book of esther so without much further ado why don't we dive into our discussion <laughs> Okay, so here is what's been happening in the book of Esther so far. Um, we learned that Esther and her cousin Mordecai are Jews living in Persia at least like a couple hundred years after the Babylonian exile when the people of Israel were first taken captive. And she has somehow plucked from anonymity to become the new queen of Persia. And Mordecai warns her not to let anyone know of her nationality and family background. At around the same time, Mordecai is involved in some drama of his own. A man named Haman, who is the second most powerful man in the kingdom, for some reason, I imagine him to be like Jafar from Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Like that is a picture that comes in my mind. <laughs> um, so this guy Haman is enraged by Mordecai's refusal to bow to him like the king commanded the people to do. So he projects his anger onto Mordecai's entire people, the Jews, and then coaxes King Xerxes to make a law to basically decimate the entire population. It's pretty extreme. 
So we left off with Mordecai going to Esther to enlist her help to get the king to overturn this decree. And then he reminds her that being the queen doesn't really make her safe. And then that maybe, just maybe, she became queen for such a time as this. Mm. And then Esther complies and gives the now famous response, if I perish, I perish. All right, David, fill us in on what happens next. Yeah, so yeah, you do a great job recapping the first half of the book. And this second half is um, really like the pivot point and just kind of like the turning point in the book where things start kind of working out for Esther and Mordecai and their people. Uh, But yeah, essentially, so Mordecai and Esther come up with a plan and Mordecai tells Esther, hey, you got to go approach the king, host a couple of these banquets um, and essentially just kind of appeal to the king to kind of like, you know, look out for her people and really stand up for her people. And um, she really does this brave act of standing up to the king, which we could talk about a little bit more, but essentially was risking her life to do so. Um, So Esther does that the first time. And then in between the two banquets, so there's two different banquets. And so in between the two banquets, um, Haman leaves, you know, very happy after a night of drinking it with, with right. a banquet with He's Esther. He's a VIP guest. Of exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then so he goes his own way and actually kind of sets up the plan to kill Mordecai and builds a gallows and all this sort of stuff. And then at the same time, the king is having a hard time falling asleep and just so happens he wants to read the history books of his kingdom and just so happens as one does right exactly like it's good bedtime bedtime story for uh the king and then um while he's reading he's reminded that mordecai actually saved his life at one point and so he's like whoa we gotta honor this guy mordecai and because he saved my life he stopped an assassination on my life and so then the king actually approaches Haman and is like hey, look, um, what would you do to someone to honor them for being such a great person? And Haman's like, oh, I'm going to talk all about like what I would do right. if I was get me. honored. Who else could right. be? Exactly, exactly. Um, and so Haman comes up with this elaborate plan. It's like, oh, we got to do this, put on the royal robes, ride on a horse, everyone declaring their name. And then essentially it's like, the king's like, cool. Let's go do that to Mordecai. And the kid, Haman's just like, what? What happened? Um, so yeah, that that happened. And then obviously this upset Haman very much so. And then we have the second banquet that happens. And this is where Esther really is um, puts out her petition to save her people and be like, this is where she reveals her Jewishness, her Jewish identity, and essentially reveals Haman is the one that is trying to kill our people and is trying to get rid of our, our get rid of the community of the Jewish people. And that's when drama happens. And Haman is like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? The king is upset. He's furious about all this sort of thing. And then essentially um, all that happens. And if what, like to just over a quick, quick summary, Haman dies the way Mordecai was supposed to, like on the gallows. And then, um, Mordecai and Esther find out that the decree can't be revoked that was initially made about killing all the Jews in Persia. And so what they have to do is write a counter decree where essentially like on the day that all the Jews were supposed to die, it's now able, the Jews are able to defend themselves. And then they essentially annihilate Haman's family, all the uh, Haman's friends and everyone who was trying to attack them. And then from there, it turns into the festival of Purim. But then essentially Esther and Mordecai save their people. And yeah, they just a lot of bravery, a lot of courage, 
uh, a lot of undermining that's going on. And it's just a fascinating story. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a high level overview of the second half of the book. What do you think about that, Linda? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This book is so fascinating. Like it is what, there's a reason why it's a lot of people's favorite stories. It's because there's, I don't think any other book in the Bible like sets it up so poetically and just right. just so beautifully from start to finish. Um, and in this, and like you mentioned, this whole book tells us why um, the Jewish people celebrate Purim. And you mentioned mm -hmm. that, like, do you want to describe where that word comes from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. So um, when Haman is trying to decide what day the Jews are to be killed or what day the Jews are to be destroyed, he actually throws what's called lots or sometimes it's called pure, uh, P-U-R. And so that is what that is called when that's how he decided the day the Jews would die. And so to kind of play off of that, Purim actually is a play off of how off of the casting the lots that he did in the first couple chapters of the book. And so it's kind of this weird reversal of like, you know, what was meant to be a day of death and destruction and torment is actually turned into a day of celebration for the Jewish people, which I believe they actually still celebrate to this day, if, I'm not, if I'm not do. mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just the wild connection of like how things worked out. And just from the store, we get this festival and the celebrations. Right. And we see a lot of that kind of reversal happening. We talk about this a lot when it comes to the book of Esther, but this is one of those books where God is not mentioned once throughout the entire text. And it's interesting because God is silent. However, mm -hmm. God moves through traditionally silent players, like, mm -hmm. like having Esther at the forefront of the story and even Mordecai because he is a Jew and he doesn't really have any power. Like having these people be like the main actors is just kind of, it's really interesting um, to see how it drives the plot and it drives to the salvation of the Jew, the Jews. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny to me because, no, no, it's not funny. It's kind of sad to me that it has to be this way sometimes because the only time we see like female characters mentioned is when they do something super just extraordinary, right? That's because good. I don't yeah. doubt there were countless heroines all throughout Bible times, but it's people like Ruth and Esther and like a few others throughout the Bible that get special mention because they're somehow able to operate within the male-dominated systems mm. of oppression and then yep. impact their entire communities in these very clever and subversive ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the biggest things with this story, in particular with Esther's story, is just the way we kind of see her character develop throughout the story. So at the very beginning, like you mentioned, um, she's introduced by a beauty pageant. So she's only recognized for her beauty, for her looks, for her appearance. Um, and so we get off and we start her character off with just, just someone for looks. That's, a, that's, a, that's all we kind of get for her. And then as we kind of move through the story, we kind of see her boldness and her courageousness kind of really come alive when she's standing up for the king, which, like I said earlier, is, was risking her life because in those times you weren't allowed to approach the king unless you were summoned or allowed to approach the king. And so for her to go up to the king unannounced, um, unwelcomed was something that was courageous. And so for someone to be introduced as solely for their looks and is now someone who is known for their boldness and the courageousness, it's just awesome how she, like you said, subverting the power of the patriarchy within the story. So yeah, it's it's a fascinating, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, awesome reversal of, the, of of her character within the story that I just love. And I think that we definitely needs to highlight because sometimes 
we might overlook that sometimes with a story. And so sometimes if we don't get really dig into the text, we kind of miss that. We just kind of see her as like a, a pawn figure. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of what we do with the Bible is we look at it through the lens of our modern society and our experience. And so we downplay Esther's role in all of this so much. And we don't really understand like how severe those dangers were that that were associated with what she did. Um, I just want to read these verses from chapter seven of the book of Esther. Um, when she is making her request finally to the king, she says um, in verse three, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my mm -hmm. petition and spare my people. This is my request for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Mm -hmm. And I find that disturbing because she said that if they were just being sold as slaves, she would have said nothing. And I don't think it's because she thinks, well, that's not a problem, no big deal. It's because she realizes the the balance of power is not in her favor and there is nothing she could have done about that. Um, and so she kind of tells the king in this way that like, look, I know that what I have to say doesn't mean much and that I could be sold and I could be banished at any point, but please spare me my life because you alone have the power to do that, right. which it turns out he doesn't really because he's powerless against the decree that he wrote in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's one quote that I pulled from that I really want to kind of mention. It's that's just so interesting. And so, um, at the very beginning of the story, there was a there's Queen um, Vashti was the first was the first queen that that was queen to the to the king that we're talking about now. Um, but she was banished for not showing up. But Queen Esther is actually in danger for showing up unannounced. And so, just a wild kind of like another plot twist in the story of like the first one was banished because she didn't show up. And now Esther's actually has potentially to be banished or even killed for showing up right. unannounced. And so I think that's kind of like to go a little deeper, like that's just a wild um, plot twist that we find here in the story. Yeah, it's really interesting because like even with um, you, you told us about how Mordecai was able to unfurl this assassination plot against mm -hmm. the king. And like the way that this was made known to the king was that Mordecai told Esther and Esther was able to somehow get this message to the king. It doesn't say how, but we mm -hmm. have to assume that it was, in, it was probably through a series of messengers. Um, but it's interesting how she knows that this request she has to make to the king can't be done in the same way. And she has to actually make an appearance herself and right. put her life on the line. Well, that's so, good. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's good. Man, yeah, there's so much in here. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more. What else about this book do you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess one of the, I mean, obviously there's a lot of irony in this, in this, in this story, just a lot of things happening. Like we have a clueless king, we have Haman, who's the mastermind, who kind of mirrors Mordecai, who's also a mastermind in his own way. Um, but yeah, I think one of the biggest ones I think is just that huge irony of like Haman dying the same death that he planned for Mordecai. 
to uh, that he planned for Mordecai, not that he that experiences himself the hanging, the hanging. Um, that even that is just so fascinating, just how that works out, and even just like everything seems so like happenstance. Like it's it's like like you talked about at the very beginning of the of the of the, of the podcast about how like God doesn't show up in explicitly in this book, but yet all these happenstance or just because or that sort of stuff. It's so interesting. And um, I might t- talk about this a little bit later about like, how does God work in our lives? And um, how does God work in this specific, in this specific case of these characters? But even that whole concept in this book is just so interesting. And the fact that, like I said, uh, in what we've said, God doesn't, isn't mentioned in this book explicitly, but yet all these things happen coincidentally. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fascinating to see how these characters are working and all kind of connected and how the story plays out and just so happens to read the history and then changes his mind. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating. So yeah, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit, how that applies to our lives, because I think there's some definitely, definitely some implications we can take from that um, and use for our lives. But yeah, that's kind of something else I just love about this book as well. Yeah. I think um, people who like things kind of wrapped up neatly in a bow Mm -hmm. Esther is a book that does that because I mean what I mean what a perfect definition of poetic justice right um, that Haman dies the way that he intended to have Mordecai murdered and it's funny because depending on the translation that death gets pretty graphic because Mm -hmm. I grew up hearing oh it was a gallows which is not any less severe like gallows very also terrifying and terrible but then like in other translations it's like a pole like right. just a pole that he <laughs> planned to impale Mordecai on <laughs> it's like even more graphic like yeah. this guy didn't like he not only wanted to silence Mordecai but he wanted to like really hurt him and his people like it mm-hmm. was it was just kind of the embodiment of evil that is coursing mm-hmm. through Haman and yeah. And it's so surprising to me because, like, it just depicts how humans do have that kind of capacity for that darkness. Um, And this book just kind of tells us what we can do when we encounter things like that in our lives. Right. Yeah. I know. And I know. Obviously, this book is uh, obviously with Haman being very anti-Semitic and. Just obviously the history we've had that and some of the things that have happened most recently with with anti-Semitism. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think this book obviously is a sign that history repeats itself. So obviously people we have not learned uh, from this book about, you know, abusing power, um, using power incorrectly to harm, to harm the lives of other people. Right. Um, you know, the words, the, the power that our words have when it comes to talking about other people groups and so yeah, obviously we have not learned from this book of what it means to stand up to powerful people and to stand up to the systems of oppression and injustice in our world. Um, so obviously this book, even though it's a story that took place over thousands of years ago, still has yeah. such a relevance for us even today in our 21st century uh, world that like we're still doing through going through a lot of this stuff and sure how can are. how and like well, I don't know I'm already kind of going into like what does this mean or what what are we called to do but what does that look like for our lives to stand up stand up to those systems of patriarchy and oppression and um, systemic racism and all just the different things that are going on in our country and specifically in the U.S. but even in the world in general just like how as Christians what are we called uh, to be in the world that is filled with injustice and oppression and um, how are we 
using God's power within us to face those systems of oppression. So uh, I think that's definitely a big theme throughout this book that I think is quite relevant for us today. Yeah, um, I think that's great. I think that's definitely something we should talk about right now. Um, <laughs> Um, that is something that I think a lot of us fail to see in the bubbles that we live in, mm. even though we hear about it. We're like, oh, yeah, they're, the society is shaped in this way and it's terrible. We don't actually stop and think of all the ways that it's informing our decisions mm -hmm. and how sometimes we're kind of blind to it because it's right in front of us, you know, we're yeah. just, it's just, we take it so matter of factly. And so what are some things that you feel like it calls us to do? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a great question. Um, obviously, you and I are both come from church backgrounds. So I know just even within the last year or so, there have been many, 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 many stories of just, um, quote unquote, church leaders who abuse their power, um for harming other people and you know obviously abusing power to gain personal gain whether that's wealth or fame or notoriety and it's just what do we do in these situations of places that are supposed to be places of healing and places of growth and places of wholeness and peace and community i mean that's what christ calls us to be but yet we see these systems and these institutions causing harm and hurt and pain and destruction, doing the opposite effect. And so as Christians, what can we do in our lives to be able to foster spaces of, of welcoming and inclusion and uh, peace and shalom? And um, yeah, one thing I'm learning a lot right now is to listen more than to speak more. And I think that just goes um, lengths in terms of, you know, really trying to understand who people are, where people are at, and just really have a space to like be open and just really be able to talk and um, lift lift people up who normally don't get a voice as well. I think is one one important way that we could do that. Like, who are the voices that are being silenced? That you know, us for for people who are in power, how can we lift those voices up and bring them to light and really get to listen to what they have to say, and not just listen just because we just need to listen to them, but listen and really take action from what they're saying. Um, I think those are definitely some things and how can we not revert and keep the systems that are hurting other people and how can we break the system and try to figure out different ways to be Christ in this world and be Jesus in this world to like really love our, love our neighbors and love each other as Christ called us to do. So yeah, those are some of the things I think that we could do. Linda, do you have any thoughts on that as well? Yeah. Um, I just feel like we need to pay attention to those systems like not just government, but just these these systems that are in place that are designed to suppress and oppress that we really don't think about. I mean, if we look at the book of Esther, all of these laws that were written were kind of made out of selfish and mm -hmm. emotional reasons. Like they made a law to have you know, all the women in the land must be submissive to their husbands, just to make an example out of Queen Vashti, and which was just ridiculous. Right. Um, and then even Haman's reaction to Mordecai is what spurs this like, initial Holocaust, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, we have to pay attention to like, hey, let's not just uh, make decisions and 
vote on things because everyone else is doing it but like pay attention to like who are these laws serving mm. and what can we do when they are promoting inequity mm -hmm. among marginalized groups and mm -hmm. sometimes suppressing their voice like what can we do to amplify them and i think those are some good questions that you brought up that we definitely not need to ask more of ourselves and then take that the a step further and be like okay well now what is something that i can do um mm -hmm. to be be an ally a co-conspirator uh, a friend uh, someone who actually like you said is like jesus to these people that we can lift them up and walk alongside them i think that is just so important to say i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she um she was saying how she is just met with a lot of resistance from some people that she works with um, because they they just they're like, you know what, like, I don't know why I need to learn about diversity and equity and inclusion and things like that. You know, like, I'm not racist. And it's like, OK, right. You might not be racist, but you are also not anti-racist, which mm. is a very different thing. Right. Like, you can't just be like, I'm not this thing but also well then you need to be for something right right <laughs> and yeah. so it was so, it's so interesting that esther talking to the king is like look i know you don't want to kill all these people including mm -hmm. me your queen but like now you have to do something about it you can't just be like i hate this you have to go and change it reverse it do something and this is why we're having all these parties and there yeah. are a lot of parties in this book <laughs> <laughs> there's so many parties <laughs> another thing i notice in this text um that i think calls us to do something about it too is how so many people in so many characters in this story just surround themselves with the wrong influences mm. right that just bad counsel all around like starting with king xerxes like he's like i don't know what to do about this tell me people and they were like well let me give you the worst advice possible and he's like great let me do that you know and that's why the whole the law against the jews came into existence in the first place and Haman, i mean like yeah he I, again i think he is the source of evil like he is satan mm -hmm. himself but he also is surrounded by people who encourages this you know they're like yeah how dare mordecai do this go and talk to the king and get him killed you know and it's just like wow so not only he was not a singular actor like he had people supporting him and we see that happening mm -hmm. in the world around us too we see these people doing categorically bad things but they have support they have people who tell them like you're doing great so i just want to encourage us like hey like let's check the voices we're listening to mm -hmm. and especially the people who agree with us like let's mm -hmm. you know let's stop for a second and be like wait a second are we actually doing the right things and mm -hmm. is this advice good and sounds i think that is something we definitely need to do a temperature check from time to time yeah definitely definitely yeah i, I yeah because sometimes we can be a little bit too comfortable being with our people because we like our people everyone believes very similarly to what we believe everything's very comfy but then yeah you're right 100 percent. you know we need to do like a self-check and be like wait a minute am i listening to other voices that differ from me as well just because what well, and coming in with an attitude of what can i learn from those voices versus like uh oh 
I am not going to do listen to that because I know hundred percent, like that's not my thing. And I'm, it's just, you're going into it more aggressively and then versus coming to it with a more open stance of like, okay, where, what can I learn? Obviously, you know, there's things that are harmful and clearly wrong that we, you know, may, I guess not enough listening is the right word, but obviously we can call out the things that are wrong that we can clearly say that go against loving God, loving our neighbor, but within other voices or just even just self-checking, like you said, I think is a really great way to put it. Just being aware of like, who are we surrounding ourselves with? Who are the, what are the voices saying? And are there other voices that we're not listening to? I think is a good way to just kind of self-check. So obviously, like you said, kind of at the very beginning, um, we talk about how God is a little bit absent in this book, how God is not explicitly ever mentioned in this book, or we never hear anyone really necessarily praying to God or asking God for to do this or that in the story. And I think that's a very interesting take, especially with everything that happened. And, you know, we talked about how like everything happens kind of by chance or that sort of stuff. And I think it's interesting because um, at least from my personal belief, I don't believe in a God of determinism. And what that means is I don't believe God necessarily dictates every single step we take or every single plan that's uh, that we do or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. I think God gives us the free will. And I love that what you said about Haman, because I think Haman used that free will that God gives us for evil. And I think that's kind of where a lot of our evil comes from is when they, we take this free will and we abuse it and we turn it into something that is totally against loving God and loving our neighbor. And so like sometimes in our lives, we kind of need to self-reflect where is God showing up in my life and how is God showing up in our life? And if we believe in free will, then obviously we believe that God has given us the ability to make decisions for ourselves. And so what are those decisions that we're making? Now, this is not, I'm not saying that God doesn't necessarily move us or lead us or guide us, but I think God gives us the options in our lives. Um, I have written my notes that I see God as being like a perfect parent, as someone who you know, maybe he gives us a suggestion or leads us or guides us to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't eat five pounds of candy on Halloween night or something like that. And just, yeah, just like that, thought. because, because, you know, I, from experience as a, as a parent or not, I'm not a parent myself, but like if I was had a kid and say, you could totally eat five pounds of candy, but I'm going to suggest you not to, because, you know, what are the consequences of probably most likely getting sick? And so I kind of see that as God kind of giving us the suggestions and the leadings and the guidance and those come through other people. And sometimes it just feels like, you know, sometimes God, we don't sense God in our lives. And so it's just really interesting um, that we see the characters in the story use God's free will. And we see some of them use it for good. And then obviously some of it for evil. And that obviously shapes a lot of the story of what happens and kind of some of the underpinnings of the story. And yeah, so I think that's just an interesting point to kind of talk about and to reflect on our lives and what are the decisions that we make and how do those influence, you know, our life, but also the life of other people as well. Right. And if we look at the text, I mean, Esther and Mordecai are Jewish diaspora. You know, they are a people that were scattered from their homeland and they were just, you know, it's just generations of people going, okay, now where is God? Like, where Mm -hmm. is Yahweh? And we don't have a central location anymore. We are all over the place. We're in exile. Mm -hmm. We're we're being ruled by pagan kings. You know, we have no power. We have no say. A lot of us are basically slaves. Like, what is God doing? And where is God in all of this? And and, and it just shows through the story um, of Esther and Mordecai that God is there 
just not in obvious ways, but even in their exile, God hadn't abandoned them. And God is showing that through a series of things that seem like sheer happenstance and coincidence, mm-hmm. God is helping and God is doing a lot of support behind the scenes right. and showing them that, hey, like, I know that you are feeling dejected and abandoned to a certain degree, but I'm still here. Like, just look for the places where I'm at. So I think in our lives, um, as you were saying, like, that's something we definitely need to do is pay attention to the ways that God shows up in our lives in very not obvious ways, but in ways nonetheless. And then we can heed that voice so that we can Mm -hmm. use that free will we've been given for (laughs) good purposes. Yeah. 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 And I want to wrap this topic up with a, with a comment from the Bible project, which is an organization, yes. a company that puts out really great videos. If you haven't heard them, definitely need to check them out on YouTube, but they put out wonderful and excellent high quality videos about the different books of the Bible, about different topics and themes. And then specifically for the book of Esther, there was a comment on here that I thought was really cool that I'd actually never thought about. And I'll just read you the comment. You can find it yourself on YouTube if you look up the, the video yourself, but it says, God's absence is also best in light of the historical context. So the book of Esther is the last historical narrative in the Old Testament. So think, so it's like one of the last stories that we have of the Jewish people um, before they enter in the 400 years of silent years. So this is between like the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so what this person thinks, and I kind of, I do kind of agree with this person that says God wants God's people to know that just because God's not speaking does not mean that God is not active. The book of Esther shows just that. While God is not speaking or spoken, God is still moving. It prepares the Jews to look out for how God is moving in the next 400 years without hearing the the words of a prophet. And I was like, huh, that's really cool. Just like how the book of Esther, like like this comment said, really is like kind of that last historical narrative of the Jewish people. And then from there, we have 400 years of silence. And then that's when Jesus comes into the scene. But yeah, it was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, how can we hear God's voice or where can we see God moving, even if we don't see it like explicitly or, you know, a lot of us have stories that we've heard God's voice audibly, but some of us haven't. And so like, we're like, I love what you said about how, where can we see God moving in our lives in unexpected ways? Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I think I would just really encourage um, the listeners to this podcast of just like, where's God in the unexpected and where do you, can you find God in the unexpected? Because I think if we believe in an all powerful God, that can do what God wants, then God can definitely speak in all sorts of different avenues and venues and um, whether audibly or very clearly or very muddled and kind of maybe subversively or even um, a little different than what we're used to at times. (laughs) Sometimes it's through us, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we're like, wait, who's not doing this? Oh, because I'm supposed to be doing it. Right. That's right. It's like how sometimes I forget that I'm the adult in the room. I I still do that. I've been an adult for how long now? But sometimes I'm like, shouldn't someone take care of this? Oh, right. I should take care of this. Got it. Right. Oh man, oh man. I, I still sit at the kids' table during family gatherings. <laughs> I know. I still like being a kid at heart. It keeps me young. And yeah, I, I definitely think that life through a perspective of just having a nice time, having a good time, and not having to stress too much about different things is a good way to live. And just kind of living as kids would, just kind of care- carefree, happy. Right positive, typically positive outlooks on life, all that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> when you take a closer look at the world, it's, mm. it's a hot mess. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
Well, David, do you have any other final thoughts you want to say about the book of Esther as a whole or anything that, mm -hmm. or just embellish more on the things we've talked about? Just be encouraged that um, God could, God will use us uh, to stand up to systems of injustice and to look out for those ways. And maybe uh, a final thought is just to be in prayer about how God could um, use you to stand up to the, some of these persons and people and how can you create your change where you're at, even within, if even if that's a family a system, whether that's a church system, whether that's uh, another system that you're a part of or anything like that. But yeah, I think definitely we are called to um, stand up for those systems of, of oppression and really be um, Jesus to other people and really work that in our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and really be able to yeah, just stand up for what's wrong in the world, just like Esther stood up for what's for her people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's hard to do that right thing and it is hard to take that first step. And so, you know, like we were saying about surrounding yourself with good people, with good advice, you know, find yourself a Mordecai who can coax mm -hmm. you into doing the right thing. And it's okay if you're reluctant, it is scary. Um, but, you know, have that determination and, you know, Esther took it to, like, she, she took it to mean that she could die if she does this, you know, she does say, if I perish, I perish. Um, and yet, you know, she had that conviction and I think that is something we need more of in this world. Yeah. So thank you so much, David, for your thoughts yeah. and start talking about this book with us. I mean, honestly, guys, I think David and I could talk about this book for like another hour at oh, least. Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but we invite you to go ahead and read this book for yourself. Watch that Bible project video David mentioned. It is solid and it'll give you a little bit more insight on how the book itself is structured and you can kind of see the narrative um, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just keep a watchful eye for all the good things you can do in this world because we believe you can nice. <laughs> well thank you so much david for being here we know we will definitely have you back at another yes. point in the future <laughs> um, but it's always a joy when we get to talk together yes it's always a pleasure to talk bible with you linda i love it i look forward to it and it's fantastic because we can both nerd out on the bible <laughs> yes, yes more bible nerding out to come Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. <laughs> Friends, I hope this conversation has sparked good things for you, maybe in terms of Bible knowledge you didn't have before or new applications of a story you've heard many times. This time for me in my own reflections and in this chat with David, the phrase that really stuck out to me from the text is what Esther says to Xerxes after the second banquet in chapter seven, when she finally pleads for the life of her people. She says, grant me my life, this is my petition. Of course, this is merely the chosen translation of the word from the original text, but the word petition seems so fitting. Historically, I viewed petitions as obnoxious and even pointless, mostly because I would get annoyed that people would stop me while I was out grocery shopping or something. But if you think about it, this is the pinnacle of democracy, right? That anyone could file a petition to get something reversed or at least get a consideration if you collect enough signatures. And in Esther's case, it was just the one signatory she needed, but this was what she was doing. 
she was making her case to repeal an unjust law that was born out of corruption. Now, the world we live in may not look like Esther's Persia, but I'm sure that we have all at some point in our lives experienced being in a place that was unwelcoming to our beliefs or even just who we are. Or maybe we have been a part of harboring or even spreading hateful opinions like that. But like David and I've been talking about, and this is actually an ongoing theme of our podcast, let's keep learning. Now, this is my petition to you. Keep learning how we can be more welcoming to others, especially people not like us. Keep learning by listening more and talking less. Keep learning by identifying people who abuse systems of power and find ways to stand with the people who are being hurt by these systems. Keep learning by surrounding yourself with good influences and not just people who agree with you. And lastly, keep learning by using God's generous gift of free will to promote peace, justice, and love. And when it feels like outside the scope of your influence or ability, wait for God to show up in the unexpected. And as with any petition, I hope you sign your name to this. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Esther, a story in which your name is not mentioned once, but still your fingerprints are on every page. Thank you for showing us that even when the balance of power or circumstances are not in our favor, you will give us wisdom to always stand up on the side of good, on the side that champions your love and faithfulness. Help us to walk away from this book with a richer understanding of how you may often operate behind the scenes, but that doesn't make your presence any less powerful or real in our lives. And most importantly, help us heed your voice when it's us you are calling to be the ones to turn the tide. And even then, help us to remember that we are not the heroes of the story, just like Esther and Mordecai were not the heroes of the story. You were and still very much are. In Jesus' name.